We serve an awesome God. Thank you so much, ladies, for blessing us today. May you be reminded God wants to revive your hearts. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so continuing on in our anniversary celebration, I always like to bring someone as a guest speaker. And um, the brother that's going to come up here, I have only heard him speak one time. And one time was enough. Amen? I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, I pastor, he pastors, so obviously we're not going to be able to hear each other often, right? But I went to a men's conference, and I heard him speaking. And when someone gets up and they're not afraid to talk about sin, right, and let people know, hey, man, Jesus is the solution to that sin, you can appreciate that. Amen? He wasn't up there trying to give us some fluffy message like, hey, guys, you're going to be great. It wasn't like that. He was, he was encouraging in the word of God, and I thank God for that. And um, I've known Pastor Javier for a while. I, I don't know how long, but it's been a while. I won't tell you how long because you know how old I am. Glory to God. But it's been over 12 years, I think, because, you know, we've been here 12 years. I knew him before this. And like I said, I heard him a few years back. He is one of the associate pastors at, at Centro de la Familia. Um, he was a youth pastor at that time, and then he was one of the associate pastors doing the English ministry. And now he and his wife are getting ready soon to plant a church. Amen? Amen. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. So I want you to put your hands together for Pastor Javier Maldonado as he comes forward to share the word with us today. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop. Appreciate it. Hallelujah. I knew you just sat down, but why don't you stand up real quick? Hallelujah. Stretch out real quick. Get comfortable. Tuck your shirt in. Stretch out. Reach. Okay? We're not going to be here too long. If you give me 30 minutes of your time, we'll get you on your way. Father, I thank you so much. Father, I thank you so much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. Why don't you lift our hands to heaven real quick? And Father, we thank you for this time, for the opportunity to be in front of your people. Yes. Father, we thank you for the hearts that are getting, to receive, getting ready to receive your word. I thank you that before the foundations of the, of the world, you have already planned this event out today. Thank you for these wonderful 12 years that we celebrate here today. Thank you for the pastoral family, Lord, for all those who labor, Father, to fulfill your dream here in Oviedo. I thank you for your work, and I thank you for your word, and for these people here today. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hey, if we get too, a lot of feedback, don't worry. I'll grab a handheld. It's no big deal. So you want to try for No? We're good? Okay. Amen. Well, welcome. If, if, let me see. If you're here for the first time. Raise your hand. I see a couple people. Welcome, you guys. Happy that you're here. Man, I always like to welcome visitors because, uh, you know, you're the reason that, that we do this. We want to love on you and appreciate you. And uh, let me let you know a little bit about myself. Like I said, my name is Javier Maldonado. And this is my wife, Angelina. Baby, would you stand up and uh, give her a hand? A lot of what you see today is because my wife has sharpened me uh, in a very great way, so we thank the Lord for that. Um, I've known Bishop for a few years, and uh, the first time that I remember um, not meeting him but being impacted by him is uh, we used to get together uh, and pray with uh, uh, Pastor Frank that many of you know and Pastor Mike and... And we used to get together and pray, and I just remember him, hearing him pray with passion, and that has always impacted me. So know that you guys have a pastor here, a bishop that loves you. Why don't we give a hand to the pastoral family? Amen. Amen. Um, I know another pastor that I'm familiar with here, uh, Pastor Aldo, and his wife, Vanessa. I've known uh, Aldo for over 20 years when I was 14. I'll tell you a little story about your pastor. <laughs> Um, he's not here, so I could talk about him. Um, I met Aldo when I was 14 years old. He was the first Christian that I met. And uh, we were playing basketball, and uh, it was pretty interesting. Because Aldo, like, he was a Christian, but, like, he wasn't. And, <laughs> and I didn't know any better because I wasn't, right? So no big deal. But I met Aldo, and... We became friends instantly, 
and uh, it was divine. The, the very next day after meeting Aldo, my whole family went to church. We got invited to go to the church that I'm currently a pastor at. We've been there since I was 14 years old. I gave my heart to the Lord that summer. My parents gave their heart to the Lord that Sunday after being invited to that church. And Aldo was my Christian friend. And I used to spend the night at Aldo and Tony's house and your pastor Aldo's house. And we did a lot of mischief. And uh, I'm not going to get into the shenanigans we used to do. But we were young. And we, so when I hear the song about the grace of God, I think that should be my, my theme song. <laughs> Because, man, if it wasn't for the blood, can I get an amen? Just one. All right. I mean, if it wasn't for his grace, man, uh, you know, I think of the verse that we are, I am who I am. We are who we are by the grace of God because it is from him, through him, and back to him, everything that we do. So I'm honored, Pastor, for the invitation. I'm excited to bring you the word of the Lord today. Today, I'm going to talk to you from a story from the Old Testament. Now, now, sometimes when we think about the Old Testament, we think it's going to be a long, boring story, but just bear with me for a few minutes. My wife typically uh, is in love with the Old Testament. I'm a more New Testament guy. That's what God brought us together. Now we class, and now I'm a preacher in the Old Testament. That's what the wife in your life causes you to do. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I titled the message, Appetite Control. And uh, if you put the first slide up, I want to introduce my kids because my kids, I put a kid, there, there's my boys, and I always like to uh, show a picture because they're not here because if they were here, I wouldn't be able to preach. And so, so they're with my mother, and uh, Javier Samuel is the oldest one, and Micah is the little one, and uh, they are uh, a true blessing from the Lord. They have made a very selfish individual as myself. Uh, be less selfish. Amen. Now I don't have eight cookies. Now I only get to have four because they want my cookies. And so I share now and those are, that's my family. Amen. Um, so today I want to talk to you about our appetites. And I know it's not a typical subject and I know it's not a typical subject for an anniversary, but I want to make sure that I'm obedient to what I feel the Lord has laid upon my heart. If you ask my wife, she'll tell you, man, all week, the week before, I went on a little retreat, and I've been seeking the Lord. What do I share with God's people? And so I even, even today, I'm coming with three or four messages in hand because I'm like, God, you know what you want to share. And uh, so I prepared extra for today, and I believe that God's going to bless you. Um, our appetites, when we think about our appetites, we typically think of what? You know, hunger, right? For guys, sleep and sex. And what other appetites are there? Food, sleep, sex, food. Well, I'm a guy, okay? So my appetites, my appetites are pretty simple. And so, you know, if I have enough to eat and I get enough sleep, well, let me get off of that. But th there's a tension. There is a tension associated with our appetites. And the tension is that our appetites are only know one word. There's only one word in the vocabulary of an appetite, and that word is more. Appetites aren't just about food. You know, there's appetite for attention. There's an appetite for recognition, for security, for prosperity, to be loved, to be, to be respected, to feel successful, right? Pastor uh, Rick Warren spoke one time about uh, the appetite for being envied, and that was so convicting because we don't ever think about, about that. That's why sometimes we drive the cars that we drive. I mean, think about it. We don't see our cars. We're on the inside, but we buy, right? We don't see the car that we drive. But the tension that we face in ministry and in our churches is that there's always an appetite for progress, for responsibility. You know, once you have responsibility, you want a little bit more responsibility. Once you get a little bit of respect, you want more respect. Uh, there's the appetite to win. Nobody wants to talk about that, but, you know, everybody wants to be successful. Everybody, nobody wants to be in second place. There's that appetite to grow. There's an appetite now to be famous, to have achievement, and like I said, to be envied. But every appetite creates attention because the only word that appetites know is more. And so I'm going to tell you three things about your appetites that you probably already know, and that might be enough. For you, I'm going to put the first one up there. If you could put the first slide. The first thing I want to tell you about appetite is that God created them and sin distorted them. Okay, your appetites were given to you by God. An appetite to feel secure, that's from God. An appetite to be loved, that's from God. 
All right, an appetite for sex, that's from God. But what happens is the appetites that God gives us, sin distorts them. So now we go to the other spectrum, and what was a good appetite for security becomes a, a, an appetite for greed. It's not just enough to be secure with what we have, with our possessions. Now we want more. Now, now sex is not enough. Now it has to be distorted into something a little bit more perverse. So now we get into this dilemma because God created the appetites that you have to be successful, to win. But then God created them, but sin distorted them. The second thing I want to tell you about your appetites is that they're never fully and finally satisfied. If you think about an appetite, their favorite word is more. They always come back. They're not good filters for making decisions. You know, how many of y'all love Thanksgiving? Yes or no? Thanksgiving, we get to eat, give thanks to God, but we get to eat, right? Amen? Because we always give thanks to God, but in Thanksgiving, we give extra thanks because there's extra food, right? And so we are, we're at Thanksgiving, and right, we eat. We, I mean, sometimes we skip breakfast and lunch just so we make sure we get that, mmm, right? We want to have our meal. And so after we eat, sometimes we're like, I cannot have another, ounce, another bite to eat. And you think that meal, just you're done. But what happens three hours later? You're back in the refrigerator, guys, trying to make a, a sandwich, a turkey sandwich, yes or no? Because our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. You know, you'll never have a sexual encounter to end all sexual encounters. Your appetite will always scream for more. You will never have a job that, that completely satisfies you because once you achieve one thing, guess what? Your appetite wants more, right? There will always be a tension and we think something or somebody or some achievement or responsibility will absolutely fulfill and finally fulfill appetites. But that is just not true. We think, hey, man, if I, if I married that girl or if I have that size church or if I have that kind of family or if I drive that car or if I have that phone, right? Why do, why do we keep upgrading our phones? Because we're never fully and finally satisfied, Right? We got the 5S and we can't wait for the 6, yes or no? Or we got the 4, we can't wait for the 5. We got the 5, can't wait for the 6. It's an appetite for whatever is next, for more. The third thing that I want to tell you about your appetites is that your appetites always whisper now. They never whisper later. They always whisper right now. And the tension is always around trading what is valuable later for what is enjoyable right now. Now I'm going to say that again. It's trading what is valuable later for what is enjoyable now. The tension is always around the ultimate for the immediate. So our response to our appetites will determine the direction in large parts of our lives because are your appetites always whisper right now. They never whisper later. And so you'll be tempted at some point in your life as a church, as a family, to trade what is valuable right now for what's immediate. Dave Ramsey has a quote that I love. I'm a Dave Ramsey guy. And so he talks about delayed gratification. And he says, hey, live within your means, right? Don't worry about, don't worry about satisfying your desire for that new car right now if it's going to get you into debt. Amen? And so the idea behind this whole tension is that we have to be very cautious and aware of the fact that number one God created them sin distorted them they're never fully and finally satisfied and your appetites will whisper, always whisper now and never later and for some of you those three points are going to be enough you're going to have time to chew on those and you're going to be satisfied but I want to continue and go a little deeper with you today and we're going to go to the story of Jacob and if you want to go to Genesis 25 go there we're going to have it up on the screen but I want to talk to you about the story that at first I didn't understand when I was younger. I didn't understand this, this story. To give you a little bit of context, is centered around the idea or, or this thing called a birthright. And so there's not an equivalent here in, in America for a birthright, but uh, it essentially has three components, okay? It has a financial component. So the person who was born first in a family... I have two younger sisters, so that would be me, right? So if, if I lived in that time and in that, in, in that place in history, then I would inherit two or three times the amount of money or inheritance that my sisters would just because I was born first. That's kind of cool. Didn't have to do anything to earn it. Didn't have to be super spiritual. Didn't even have to be nice. 
to my mom and dad. But since I was first, I get the birthright. I get two to three times more money. So when it's time to read the will, my sisters wouldn't be happy, and I'd have a big smile on my face. Can I get an amen? Right? And they'd be looking at me like, you didn't even like mom and dad. But it didn't matter because I had the birthright because I was born first. It had nothing to do with me. It's just the order. Okay? The second part (laughs) They, uh, you were given authority over the rest of the family. So that was kind of cool. So what would happen is that there was a decision to be made. You, you, your family didn't vote on it, right? Everybody just came to you, looked to you, you discussed the problem, and then you would say what the solution was going to be. So you had authority in the family. So it wasn't just a financial, now I'm just richer than everybody. But now, if there's a decision to be made, hey, we're going to sit down, you're going to come to me, and I'm going to tell you the solution. I'm going to tell you the answer. This is what we're going to do. And finally, number three, there was a, a, a belief uh, that the birthright was associated with the blessing of God. And so it, it, it was kind of like if you had this birthright that God was almost obligated to bless you. It, it, the belief was that, that if you had the birthright that God uh, would honor that in your life more than he would in your brothers and sisters because you had the birthright. You had the blessing of God. So it's into that context that we're going to read these couple of verses. Amen. So let's go to Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew. Now, Jacob uh, is the uh, younger of the two brothers that we're going to be reading. And I always like to say this because I don't know where anybody is or ever is in there where they know about the Bible. So I don't want to assume that you know these stories. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, he was, again, the dreamer, the younger one. Uh, Esau was the older man, womanizer, hunter guy. Esau came in from the open country, famished. Everybody say famished. Famished. That means hungry, if you didn't know. Number three, verse 30, I mean, he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew, for I am famished. And so this is why I never get this story. Let me just pause right there. It's because I didn't grow up with with an older sibling, Okay. Uh, my sisters and I are 12 years apart. I didn't grow up uh, having a younger brother. So I didn't, I didn't when, I, when I read the story when I was young, uh, I didn't understand. But now I have a, a younger son and an even younger son. And I have my sister's dynamic that I look at. And now I think about Aldo's life. And I think about all the stuff we wanted from his brother Tony. And all these things started to gain a little bit perspective for me. Because... The older brother rarely ever needs something from the younger brother. How many of you have a younger or older brother? Raise your hand. So you're going to identify with me because when you were younger and if you had an older brother, you know that you wanted what the older brother had. Whether he had cool clothes, whether he had a car and you didn't, whether he had some things that you wanted, but never does the younger, or rarely does the younger brother have something that the older brother needs. And in this case, we see that Jacob replies, first, sell me your birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, this is like the worst trade ever, okay? And so I, I just thought it, was, I thought it was ridiculous. Like, you know, you read it, you read the Bible, you're like, that doesn't make no sense. Like, you know what the birthright is, you know what it means, you know what you're going to get. And, and so, and, and, and it, it, it's so heavy and it's so much and it's so big. And, and your brother's going to say, oh, yeah, for a bowl of stew, you can, yeah, you, my birthright, yeah, sell it, sell it to me. And so I just always thought it was dumb and it was weird and I, because I didn't understand that dynamic. So the younger brother, what he says is like, well, let me think. What is the most valuable possession that he has? And let me just try and, and get that because I never, he never needs anything from me. So he comes in hungry from, from hunting. And Jacob replies in verse 31, sell me your birthright. Who would do that? Who would trade their future for something as small as a bowl of stew? Who would trade their future for something as temporary as a bowl of stew? Because once you eat it, you're going to be hungry a couple hours later, and now you don't got a birthright. (laughs) That's not a cool trade like he wasn't thinking. Who would throw away, in our context, their ministry, the respect of their kids, their reputation, their leadership, their anointing, their influence in Christendom? Who would trade something so small for something that has so much value? For something small, temporary, and insignificant as a bowl of stew. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? You know who will make that trade? You will make that trade. 
and I would make that trade if it was the right bowl of stew. <laughs> you would make that trade. I would make that trade if it was the right bowl of stew. Now, I'm not talking about food. But the tension represented in this story is the tension you will carry every day as a, as a Christian. We will be offered something temporary to solve a tension that we have right now. Because our, our appetites are powerful. Our appetites always scream now, never later. And sin has distorted our appetites. And so you would make that trade, and I will make that trade. Verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Are you kidding me? We know what a birthright is, right? So psychologists have discovered that two things happen in your brain when your appetites are engaged and focused on something, okay? The first one is called impact bias, okay? And simply, your appetites are magnified out of proportion. Our brain lies to us and deceives us into thinking that something is going to be much better than it really is. What, what happens with impact bias is your mind tells you, if I get that thing, it's going to feel like a 10, when in reality, once you have it, it's only going to feel like a three. Your, your appetite says, if I get that job, I'm going to just be happy. I'm going to feel like a 10. When in reality, it's not going to fulfill you because your appetites are never fully and fully satisfied. So what impact by it does, it creates this chemical in your body that all of a sudden, it makes you feel that whatever you put your focus on, once you get it, once you achieve it, then you're going to be happy. Once we, once we hit 300 members, I'm going to be happy. Once, once I get another building, I'm going to be happy. Once I marry her, I'm going to be happy. Once I have sex with him, I'm going to be happy. Once I eat there, once I have that car, once I get that thing that I'm focused in at the moment, all of a sudden now, I'm going to be happy because you have impact bias and you may be trading something that is way more valuable for something not as meaningful. The second thing that happens is called focalism. Now, focalism takes me back to high school because every guy here will probably identify. I'm going to tell you when I graduated from high school, but it was a while back. And if you, if you ever remember just seeing that one girl, and she didn't know your name then, and she doesn't know your name now, but you remember she walked in the door, <laughs> right? And she went, she went in the water fountain, and you were like, oh, my goodness. And you could tell, tell me what she was wearing, the shoes she had on, what backpack she had, what her hair was like, what earrings she had. And if she walked in the room, she would not know who you are. But you could tell me her name, her last name. Thank God it wasn't Facebook because then you could tell me her address, her age. <laughs> right? Because you are a victim of focalism and our minds focus on one thing and blurs everything else out. And this happens in our brain every single time. Appetite gets blown out of proportion. Verse 33. But Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So this is the point in the story where I would love to be in Back to the Future. Okay? Anybody ever seen that movie? I'm a little old. Okay. So Back to the Future, you get to travel through time. I would love to get into DeLorean and be able to fly into time, going 88 miles per hour, getting to this story, popping up, right? And being able to interject my thoughts and opinion as somebody from the future about this trade. I love to be like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, hi, my, my name is Javier Esau. Uh, and he's like, that's a weird name. Although Esau is a weird name, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because something important is about to go down. And you need to know what's happening with this whole soup thing that you're about, this deal that you're about to make. <laughs> Okay, like I read the story and it's not good for you. Can you just listen to me? In the future, there's this thing called the Bible. And there's all the important books and all the important letters. And, and you're mentioned in here a lot. And you're about to do something pretty dumb. I would love to be able to interject in that future story and be like, hey, hey, I'm telling you, this is not something that's good for you. Because right now, you have a few kids, Esau. But, but you're going to have 12 of them. Okay, I read it. I read it in the story. You're going to have 12 kids. And I know, good times await. Amen. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, Esau, that, that those 12, those, you're going to have 12 sons, and they're going to have really big families. 
okay? They're going to be blessed. They're going to be a nation. Now, this is the bad part. They're going to be enslaved for a while, for like 400 years. And I know that's not a good story, but that's not the part that I'm trying to tell you. They're going to be enslaved in Egypt, but God's going to hear their cry. And they're going to pray to the God of your grandpa, the God of your grandpa, grandpa Abraham. And God's going to hear their cry. And God's going to send a guy named Moses. Say with me, Moses. And Moses is going to deliver them out of the hands of bondage. And God's going to introduce himself to Moses one day in with a fiery bush, a burning bush. And Esau, can, can I tell you what, what you're going to miss out on if, if you eat this, do this trade right now? See, when God introduces himself to Moses, he does, a, he does it in a very cool way, and it's going to be quoted hundreds and thousands and millions of times by preachers. And you don't know what a preacher is, but don't worry. <laughs> God is going to do, introduce himself to Moses. Mo, Moses, it's nice to meet you. I am God. Let me be more specific. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Esau. But that won't happen if you eat and make this trade. What's gonna, the way he's going to introduce himself, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob, your little brother. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also probably like, well, I didn't know that much. I wish somebody had told me what I was trading for this bowl of stew. And so Esau, I know you're hungry, but you take this too, this too, and that changes. Oh, and another thing, later God is going to send his son to this earth. And I know that just blows your mind right now because you've had experiences with God, but I'm telling you, he's going to send his son, and his name is Jesus. I know it's a real name, but he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to die for the sins of all of mankind. And he will inspire this group of, of, of 12 disciples, and one of them was named Matthew. And Matthew is going to write a book named Matthew. They weren't real creative, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> and in this book is going to be a bestseller within a bestseller. It's going to be translated into as many languages as you can imagine. And it's going to be popular. And it's going to be big. And you don't want to miss how he starts this book. And when Matthew pens, he's, he's going to start with the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham, the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Esau. But Esau, if you have this stew right now, if you make this trade right now to satisfy an appetite that you feel you cannot live without satisfying, you're going to give all that up. It's better. You think you're, you're jealous of your little brother now that he has some food. You don't know what it's better. It's better for you that you just go ahead and, and die. You have the birthright. Just go ahead and give up that trade. Because I know you're hungry and you want to trade all of that for a bowl of stew. But there was nobody there to warn Esau. Like there'll be nobody there to warn you when it's time to make a decision to trade something that's valuable now for something that is way more valuable later or what you perceive to be valuable now or what you perceive that you can't live without now that relationship that car that next thing that 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 thing that looks really good on the other side of the fence so here's how the story ends verse 34 then Jacob gave Esau some bread and oh he added bread to this oh look that's a good deal now <laughs> verse 34 then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised, despised his birthright. So this is a tension that never goes, goes away. At some level, you will be tempted to trade. There will be no future person. And so what's the solution? Because I'm a solutions guy. I know your pastor is too. I've been listening to his sermons. He's a practical. This is what you do now. So what's the solution to when you have a tension or an appetite that is so big that it doesn't allow you to see anything else. Pastor, would you step over here for a second? Would you please? Now, I like to use this as an illustration. Yeah, yeah, come up here, man. And I want you to hold this Bible right in front of your face. Right in front of your face. Cool. A little closer. Let it touch your nose right there. Boom. Yeah, perfect. Okay, to give you an illustration, this is what happens when we're focused on one thing, all right? This is your, let's pretend it's not the Bible, right? But this is whatever you're focused on, right? And so here is God saying, 
you can have all of that. All right? Pastor, how many fingers am I, am I holding up? You can't see it, right? Because you're focused. So God wants to give you all the things you can't imagine. He wants to give you what, what's in stored on the other side of what you cannot see is valuable. But you don't know what you're going to be giving up by making a trade, by making this deal. So once you are able to put the appetite in proper context and take a step back, now you're going to be able to see what you're giving up for the sake of whatever your appetite is. So the longer that that's the focal point, and men, thank you, Pastor, men, and it happens. Women, it happens. We're focused on something that we think is going to completely satisfy us. For some people here, it's a relationship that's inappropriate. For some, it's, for some, it's some kind of achievement that might not be appropriate, that you're going to have to cut corners and you're going to have to lie to get to where you want and do things that normally you wouldn't be caught doing or be proud of doing because there's an appetite that you want to fulfill right now. But we don't know what that appetite is, going, what we're going to trade for satisfying that appetite. So the solution At some point in your life or at some point this week or this weekend, you need to write 10 years from now, dot, dot, dot. And just write whatever comes to your mind. 10 years from now and write whatever you want to write, whatever comes to your mind. What what do you want to see happen in your life, in your marriage, in your kid's life, in your ministry, in your job, in your career, in your church with the people that you disciple and you mentor? with your small groups, because Pastor Aldo told me you guys were doing small groups, and that's my favorite part of ministry. What do you want to see in your small group? In doing so, you will reframe every single one of your appetites, because what happened is you have it written down, the things that you want to see, the, the things you believe God told you you needed to do. So now when an appetite grows out of proportion, you are able to bring it into context as you reframed it. Now you have in front of you what you want to see in your life 10 years from now. And you'll say, wait, am I trading what I ultimately want? If I want financial freedom and now there's a great deal on a car or zero APR financing and I'm going to get into some debt no matter what I do. And ultimately, I want to be debt-free. Am I trading what is valuable later for something that I want right now? If the goal is to be in ministry, if the goal is to be used by God, then, then what am I doing in front of the computer right now, clicking on things that are inappropriate because I want what's over there, but well, I don't know what I'm giving up. I don't know what I'm, what I'm saying, God, I would rather much have this thing than what you have already destined for me. And since I don't know what the future is, I, because the Bible says that no eye has seen or ear has heard, neither has entered into the hearts of men the things you have for those that love you. So I, I, don't, all, I don't know everything that encompasses my destiny. I have a hint. I have a clue. But what am I doing right now? That, that I'm, I'm trading things. I don't know what I'm trading with what I'm doing right now. So the question to you is, what are you trading? What is that thing right now that's in your life? That you feel it in your gut right now and you don't want to look around because you're like, you don't, you know, there's something. Because all of us have appetites. You know, for me, when I was in the youth ministry, my appetite was a bigger youth ministry. And when we got to 75 kids, I thought I was going to be real happy. But then all of a sudden, I wanted 100 kids. I don't want to break 100. And once we got 100 kids, guess what? I want 125. And once we got 125, I thought I'd be happy. Guess what? Now I want 150. And when we got 150, guess what? Now I want more. I want 200. And when we got 200, I was like, baby, we got 200. (laughs) What is your bowl of stew? What is the thing being held out in front of you that is promising more than it's going to deliver. For some of you, it's a relationship that will wreck your marriage, your legacy, the way your kids look at you, the way your kids will speak about you, your grandchildren. You decided to trade something not so valuable. What is it that you're talking yourself into? You know how this works. Your appetite gets all blown up out of proportion and something, somebody sends, you a me- sends a message to your brain to make you reason for something. You go to your brain and say, okay, brain, I want that. Find ways to, to make that okay. Brain, give, give me, give me some, some uh, 
motivation, brain, figure this out for me. How can I get around what I know is in Scripture so I can have what I want? You know, and your brain does that because your brain's your pal, right? What are you contemplating that your spouse is uncomfortable with? And you're just saying she just doesn't understand. What is that thing being held out in front of you? What is it that you're doing that is not illegal or immoral, but you hope nobody finds out about it? Not illegal, not immoral, but you just hope nobody finds out that you're doing it. You want to come up here and share with the congregation, hey, this is what I'm doing financially, morally, ethically, at work, to get what I think I want. So you need to reframe, reframe your appetites. When, you're, when your mind, when your body... When you see something that you want, you need to ultimately think, is this, am I just focused on this one thing and trading something that's bigger? So here's what you, Esau, and I have in common. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision-making to trade the future for a bowl of stew. I know that about you. I know that about me. We don't know what hangs in the balance of your faithfulness, of your obedience, what hangs in the balance But you know what it is. You know, and I'll be a little bit vulnerable with you. This is one of the messages that has helped me frame my life in such a way where I say no to some of the things that as a youth I struggled with. And so if pornography was my issue, I don't know what being in front of this computer today is doing to what I ultimately want. What am I trading for this moment, for this relationship that I think, I want, that it's not sexual, that, but it's definitely inappropriate? When I receive the text, when I get the email, when I get the message, what am I, what am I trading? Because at the moment, it's exciting. In the moment, it seems like it'll satisfy you. In the moment, it'll seem that it'll give you everything that you want. But at the end, what are you doing like Esau? Are you trading your birthright for a bowl of stew? So as a church, what I want you to think of is, as a ministry, Pastor Bishop, what are we trading now that seems like a quick result, to, uh, a quick fix to a problem that might be hindering whatever it is that ultimately is your goal? So church, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to be obedient to what God has called you to do. There is a story. Baby, would you mind getting the balloon for me? Yeah. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to tell you a story, and we're going to be dismissed in just a second. Sorry, baby. Listen, I know this lands in different places with different people. I get that. And I, I, the point is not for you to feel condemned. The point is for you not, uh, the, the idea is not to make you feel bad about whatever tension, because the tensions are natural, but God created them and sin distorted them. I'm going to tell you a quick story as you stand. There was a guy that heard from God something very clear. Has God ever spoken to you at all? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you know God has spoken to you in some way. Okay, whether through the Bible, through a message, but you knew in your heart of hearts that God spoke to you. Can I, can I get a raise of hand? You know, like, you, you know how God knows how to talk to you and he talked to you that way. Let me ask you a question. If God spoke to you and he was clear and you know he said X, Y, and Z to you and he asked you to do something, would you do it? No, no, answer that question. That's not rhetorical. If God asked you to do something and you know you heard him, like there was no doubt. But I'm not talking about the times where you're like, I wonder if that's God or that's me or that's the devil. No, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the moments where you know God spoke to you the way he knows how to speak to you. And you heard from him that, hey, this is what he wants me to do. How many of y'all would do it? There was, this, there was, a, let's see, there was this guy. And God told him, thank you, babe. God told him, I want you to go to your busiest intersection in your town, I want you to hold up a red balloon every day for one year, for one hour, every day. Busiest intersection that you can find. 
And I don't know how God told him this, but in the same way that I'm speaking to you right now, I'm telling you, if God spoke to you and you're like, yeah, I would do it because I wouldn't tell God no, the same way he was like, God told me to do this. I'm going to go to my busiest ending section and I'm going to be there after work one hour for one year. And he was obedient. He went the first day and he held the balloon in the busiest intercession. Now he thought God was going to do something fantastic. Of course, God asked me to hold up a balloon. Of course, he's going to honor what I'm doing. Something's going to happen. God's going to get the glory some way. Week one happened and nothing happened. He's like, okay, it's just the first week. It's going to be a long journey. One month happened, and, and he's getting a little discouraged because he's seen nothing in return for what God asked him to do. But God asked him to hold up a red balloon, and, and here he was holding up the red balloon in an intersection. And people were looking at him, and he was looking kind of crazy for doing what God asked him to do. But he's expecting if God told me to do something, he is going to, something's going to happen. He's going to get the glory some way, right, because I'm being obedient. And what happens is when I'm obedient and I do what God says, God is going to do whatever he wants to do and get the glory so one month happened two months three months four months and nothing has happened now it's hot outside now he's taking time away from his family his wife is like hey wait a minute an hour every day and nothing's happening wife come on now talking to him and he's like i don't know what to do but i but i know that god spoke to me and i want to be faithful i don't have it within me to tell god no because he told me to do it month five month six month seven he's holding the balloon up and now and now the weather's changing. Now it's a little warm outside. Now he's hot and sometimes it's raining. And he has to go to Party City and get more balloons because they don't last a whole year. And now he's, now he's losing money, right? Now he's losing money. Nothing's happening. The people around him that drive through that avenue every day are like, what is this guy? So, but he's faithfully holding the balloon months 10, 11, month 12. Two weeks before the one-year anniversary. He gets a refreshed sense of something's going to happen, right? Because God is never late, amen? He's always on time. That's what he was always taught. So he's expecting now something to happen because it's week, with the last week. So he goes and gets a new balloon. And, he, and, and he's excited. He's at the corner with a new passion after he had been kind of like for a whole year, like, man, nothing's happening. But he's been faithful because God spoke to him. And if God spoke to him, he was going to obey no matter what. Can I get an amen? And so he's holding his balloon. He heard that he needed, whatever your word was, reframe his appetites. He needed to love on people. He needed to, to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit. He needed to get in his word, whatever your balloon is. But he had a balloon, and he had, he had to hold it up. Five, six, five, four, three, two, one day, last day, right? He's excited. He gets, he gets to the corner a little bit earlier, just in case God needs a few extra minutes, right? And now he gets a little bigger balloon just in case because it's the last day. He just wants to make sure he, he finishes strong, right? That's what we're taught, to finish strong. And so it's the last day. He's in the corner. 30 minutes pass, nothing. So he says, okay, because God is never late. He's always on time. God is never late. He's always on time. So he starts waving it now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, yo, he starts jumping around, man. He starts waving the balloon going like this. Come on now, people. Hello. Something's going to happen. Ten minutes, nine minutes, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. He's waving, jumping. Nothing happened. My question is, does God have to do something? Does God have to do it like you think he's going to do it? What about if the call to obedience was just for him? What about if the call to serve was for him? And when nobody's going to get saved, and when nothing else is going to happen, no miracle, no big bang, no nothing, just be faithful with what I told you to do. Be faithful with the word that you heard. Be faithful with the assignment that I've given you. Hold the balloon as long as I told you to hold it. Don't let the balloon go, not because you're expecting something crazy to happen, but just because I asked you to hold the balloon in that place for one year every day for an hour. And so what's your balloon? For some of you, it's taking this message about your appetites and applying it to your life. For some of you, your balloon is, man, my appetites are out of control and I need to take some time. And God is speaking to me today like I know he speaks to me because some of you feel it in your gut. When I'm talking about the appetites, you're like, that's me. Like, like I, could, I could write it down and I could show you what my appetite is that is out of control, that I, that I know I'm giving up something eternal something valuable for something insignificant for some of you you're supposed to be serving because God told you 
you needed to do it. But you're like, no, I got responsibilities. It's another hour. What? Another hour away from my kids. Another thing I have to do to go hold the balloon. A faith don't fellowship. Come on, are you kidding me? Maybe it's with the kids. Maybe it's with the youth. Maybe it's serving with the musicians. Maybe it's as an usher. I don't know. Maybe you need to be dancing up here with the dance people. What has God told you to do that you know it was him? He spoke to you the way only he can speak to you, right? It's not like you're wondering whether or not you heard from God. You know you did, and you haven't done. Is it this message that I spoke about to you today? All of a sudden, I mentioned appetites, and I mentioned relationships, and I mentioned certain things, and you're like, wait a minute, that's God speaking to me, and nobody has to lay hands on you or push you or touch you or blow on you or pray in tongues over you, but you know God spoke to you? Or maybe, maybe that balloon is reminding you of an assignment that he already gave you that all of a sudden you let go because you got frustrated. It was too long and you weren't seeing results. My prayer for you today is that whatever your balloon is, whatever your thing is that you need to go back to that you may be let go of, that you will go back and grab that thing, whatever it is, and be faithful to whatever God told you, whether or not you see the things that you need to see because what happens is maybe you have focalism and you're holding it and you can't see what's going on, but the moment you step back, you'll be able to see. But even if you don't, you're being faithful with your balloon. So, Pastor, prophetically, I want to give you a balloon. (laughs) Not because it's it's a church anniversary, but, but because I believe your assignment is not done. It's just 12 years. And, and when you got the vision for what this place was going to be, you envisioned something, right? And you, in your heart envisioned something. And when you share with your wife, you envision something. And you've been holding the globe, for the, the balloon for 12 years. I'm here to tell you God is faithful. You don't know. We don't, we don't, we don't see what's happening here all the time, right? We don't see what's happening here. How many, I mean, if I, if I gave them, people love talking on a microphone, but if I gave the microphone to some of you and said, what have being in this body of believers done for your life? Man, we'd all have to sit down because we'd be lunching, call in pizza, we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> but you will be able to testify about how when God spoke to you and said, this is your house, and you've had times where you didn't like what pastor preached because he preached, right? Right? You didn't like it. And you were tempted to let go of the balloon or you were serving and you decided not to serve or you were doing something, you decided to let it go. What is your balloon today? Close your eyes. Let's lift up your hands to heaven. I want you to have a moment with God right where you are. We're going to go have lunch in just a few minutes. Control that appetite in Jesus' name. But I want you to speak to God, however, and say something genuine to him as it relates to what you heard today. It doesn't have to be a big prayer. It doesn't have to be, what is your balloon? What is God asking you to do with the word that you heard today? What step do you have to take? Just a couple more minutes. Just one more minute. Just have have a moment. Just have a moment with God right there. You know what it is. Okay, so once you have what your balloon is, that A, you might have let it go, or B, you're recommitting to holding on to that balloon, I want you to come up to this altar, and I want to pray with you and agree with you that you're going to be faithful to your assignment. You're going to be faithful to whatever God asks you to do. If that's you, I want you to come up real fast. I want to pray for you. Don't be afraid. Just come up. Come up. Your heart's pounding. You know God is speaking to you. Just let it be. I want God to minister to you today. I want you to grab your balloon. I want you to do what God has called you to do. Guys, slide to the middle and slide all the way up if you will, please. And we're going to pray. If you're an elder in this house, if you have to come up to the altar, then just come up to the altar. But if you're not coming up for this prayer, I want you to help me pray. Those in ministry here, some form of leadership, I want you to help me pray real fast. Stand behind somebody. I want to pray. I believe God's going to do something a lot for these people here today. All of you in the back, stretch out your hands this way if you would. And we'll pray like if it was you up here. 
just believing that God is going to refresh those who are up here today with a renewed sense of destiny and passion and calling. They're going to pick up the balloon again. They're going to grab the messages, not just today's, but the ones that they've been hearing on grace. They're going to apply it to their life. The word that you're hearing in your small groups, you're going to apply it to your life. And God's going to do whatever he wants to do and whatever time he wants to do because he's God and he doesn't owe us an explanation. Our job is just to trust him and put our faith in him. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these men and women here today. Father, I pray for a renewed sense of dedication, a renewed sense of vision and passion for you, a hunger to apply your word to their lives, that they would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Today, God, I pray for faith-owned fellowship. God, that they would stand here in Oviedo, wear balloon in hand. Not just bishop, not just the pastors and the elders, but every individual that calls this place home will grab their balloon and today decide once and for all that the answer to whatever God is asking them to do is yes. Because who can tell a loving God no? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your grace upon these believers' lives. Do something in them, Lord. Do something in them, Lord. Do something that only you can do. If you will lift up your hands to heaven for just one second, 30 seconds, I want you to tell God what it is you are committing to right now between you and God. What is your balloon? What are you doing with your appetites? What's going to be the next step in your life? 30 seconds right now from your mouth to, to the Lord. You don't have to scream it out. You can whisper it. It can just be a, a prayer that you do under your breath. But communicate to God for the next 30 seconds to one minute and let him know what that is. For those of you that are sitting down, if you need to write it down, go ahead and write it down.